0: Well, so, uh, we're we're getting toward the end of first John. And, uh, those of you, uh, who realize how short a letter John is, uh, may wonder why we have so many weeks in, in, in John and first John, but if you've been following along with us and reading through, you see it's dense, it's packed, it's tight. And those of you who've been with us on the CFC course, Saturday mornings, uh, you get a little better view of what a passage looks like and why each Sunday a certain chunk is taken uh, because there are certain themes there. But, but the thing about John is how repetitive it is, right? How, how many times he returns to the same things over and over. And as I keep thinking about that, just the plain, simple truth of John's wanting us to love one another He's not even, he he obviously love includes people outside the church, but he's especially looking at love within the church. And as I think about uh, that theme, just to have an honest moment, right? If we were just honest with one another, we would would have to admit that Christians have a hard time loving each other. Uh, And if that weren't true, we wouldn't need this letter. And if that weren't especially true, we wouldn't need a letter that says it over and over and over and over again. Think about how easy it is for us to listen to a sermon and walk away and, and, and not really have it hit. Um, and I, I don't know all of why that's true. I mean, I know the theological answer as to why that's true. But in real life, I don't know exactly why that's true. I think we tend to love people that are like us. We tend to love people that love the things we love, that do the things we love to do. Uh, Your best friends are the other ladies who are giving birth in the same range of time as you. But after your kids turn like five or six, you kind of lose touch with those ladies. Why were you so close in the beginning? Well, because you were going through the same things and you were talking about the same topics and you were figuring out uh, a lot of the same issues in life at that time. Why are college friends so tight? But because you're going through a lot of the same classes and you live in the same dorms and you're facing the same obstacles that young 20-year-olds face. Uh, So we, we tend to flock together with those that like the same things we like, that affirm things in us that make us feel good about ourselves. And Christians don't always do that. Christians oftentimes are people that are the most alien to you. They're not from your culture. They're not from your ethnic background. They're not, they didn't grow up in the same place as you. They don't listen to your music. They don't enjoy your hobbies. And we're supposed to love each other. Why? Because our unity is in Christ and not in those affinity things. Uh, And so it's, it's great to have friends in church. You're allowed to have friends in church that are more friends. They're closer to you. Than other people in church that's allowed you're allowed to have people that are close to you that's not what John's talking about John's not talking about besties what he's talking about is a sacrificial intense love that demonstrates to the world that we have been intensely loved and the best way that we demonstrate that is not firstly going overseas and building a hut for someone who doesn't have a roof over their head or digging a well for someone who doesn't have clean water that's a loving act But notice that John is talking about love within the walls of the church, how we love one another, and the fact that that is difficult to do, but it's absolutely germane. It's absolutely crucial primary, and we have to return again to that theme. Before he closes this letter, he's going to give us one more shot, and there's a couple Sundays after this where he kind of moves on to a couple other things that are not irrelevant. But we have one more passage that really hits us square between the eyes about this issue of love. And so if you turn to 1 John chapter 5, and we'll just see the first verse there, how he starts this little section out, five short verses. And he says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him so again he's he's using kind of he's using an argument to i guess convince the reader right to convince the reader that this is what we should be doing and you notice i use the word everyone this isn't like some christians get it and other christians don't he's kind of saying if you are a christian this is what you do this is what defines you this is what makes you uh uh this is what makes your profession a true one And everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And if that's true of you, then everyone for whom that is true loves the Father. And you don't just love the Father, you love everyone who's been born of the Father. So if you've been born of the Father, then you love everyone who's also been born of the Father. If the Father is really your Father and you love him, then you love the children of the Father. And so imagine you were to go to a friend's house, this is somebody you say you love, this is somebody you say is your friend, and you go to their house and you tell them, hey, I'm going to come over, I'd love to hang out, watch a game, eat some barbecue, but you got to get rid of those kids, man. Those kids are really annoying. I I can't stand those kids. Get rid of the kids and I'll come over and we'll hang out. You can pretty much guess that that friendship isn't going to last unless that person you're talking to is a total jerk a derelict dad who'd rather get rid of the kids and hang out with a a drinking buddy or something than their own children. Well, the father's not like that. And so John is saying, if you belong to the father and you profess that you love the father, you show that in loving those whom the father loves. And those are his children. Those are believers. And they may vote differently than you. You know, they might think differently than you. They might post really annoying Facebook posts but they're God's children and you love them because God loves them. He set his love upon them. Propitiation has happened for them. The cross is for them. We dare not profess to love God and not love those whom he loves. They are your brother. They are your sister. And so you love them and you love them with the intensity that with which God has loved you. Now I want to take, a brief detour here because I think as we enter the rest of these verses, I want to return to a theme that we saw earlier. uh, And I think it's going to bring depth to the verses that we're returning to. We're not really learning a lot of new things in these passages. Again, he's returning to a theme themes that he's been hitting, but I want to turn to another portion of scripture to read a story. And that story is going to bring depth to your, your life and I think to the rest of these verses as we read them as brief as they are and that's a story of a man who hated his own brother it's a story of a man who uh, failed to love a brother that he was supposed to love Johns already mentioned it to us earlier in the letter and that's the story of Cain and we talked about it briefly before I just want to turn you to that passage which is Genesis 4 so if you've got your Bible I hope you do Let's turn to Genesis four. It's not real long and we're actually not going to read the entire story, but I just want to read just the first uh, set of verses. We'll go one through nine, Genesis four, one through nine. Uh, I'll read it and I want to point out a few things along the way. Um, Genesis chapter four. And of course this is the story of Cain and Abel who are brothers, uh, the children of Adam and Eve. And presumably at this point they're not children uh they're, they're they're full-grown men but the story tells us this way now adam knew his wife uh eve his wife and she conceived and bore cain saying i have gotten a man with the help of the lord and again she bore his brother abel now abel was a keeper of sheep uh already if you're reading this in the hebrew there's there's already an ominous tone to it because the author tells you why she named Cain Cain, but doesn't tell you why she named Abel Abel. You see that? And she named Cain Cain because obviously uh, childbirth is going to be difficult now. That was part of the curse. And uh, I don't know, those of you who uh, have given birth or witnessed it, you see that if you're ever thankful to the Lord that you got through something, that would be one of them. And so she thanks uh, the Lord for the help. Uh, that she was able to get through uh, giving birth to him, presumably without dying, uh, is what is meant there. And then able, no explanation. Well, the, the, the name Abel in, in Hebrew means breath. It's the same word that the author of Ecclesiastes uses when he says that life is meaningless. It's a vapor. It's here. It's gone. It's a puff of smoke. Well, that's an unfortunate name. And sadly, uh, it plays out for Abel, doesn't it? She bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. Nothing wrong with that. They have different roles. In the course of time, though, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Again, there's nothing really wrong with that. As we see later in in the Bible, uh, that's an appropriate kind of offering. And Abel also brought his but, but what what was his like the firstborn of his flock, and of their fat portions he brought the best, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard, so Cain was very angry, and his face fell, a downcast, sullen, you can see it on his face that he's upset, and he's not just a little tad ticked, he's very angry. And so the Lord steps in, right, like a good father. He sees something's brewing, and he steps in to try to avoid it. And he says in verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? In other words, it's not that I don't want to accept you, Cain. It's that you don't want it. All you have to do is do well. The bar's not high. You just don't want to do it. Won't you be accepted? don't you want a relationship with me? Isn't it rather easy to do? It's not that hard. This isn't about Abel. This is about you. So you can see the fatherly tone there as the father steps in. And he gives them a warning. If you do not do well, if you do not obey, if you don't do what's right, well, then what's happening there? Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you sin's desire is against you it wants to take you but you must rule over it you must master it so he gives Cain a warning about obedience Uh, you can hear the father's tone of love toward Cain that the father isn't trying to set Cain up Uh, he doesn't just randomly choose Abel Uh, The problem between Cain and God has nothing to do with Abel. It has to do with Cain, and it has to do with his uh, unwillingness to obey and to do what's right. Now, we don't have a bunch of rules here about what makes a good offering. You assume that these guys know and and that Abel did what he was supposed to do. He did well, and that Cain didn't do what's well. And Cain doesn't go, well, I don't know what the rules are. I thought I brought the best. He knows he didn't bring the best. And he doesn't want to do it because he doesn't love God and the reason why he doesn't love God or the reason why he doesn't love his brother is because he doesn't love God And so you see John isn't John is reading Genesis when he writes this this is why he referenced Cain earlier in the letter and he wants he wants you to think about this story of Cain because it's our story we're not supposed to read Genesis chapter 4 and shake our heads at Cain like wow I can't believe how quickly we got to murder. We're murderers. Isn't that what Jesus said? If you hate your brother in your heart, you're a murderer. And when you read First John, he's not saying some people are really hateful. He's saying you love or you hate. And so when we fail to love someone else, maybe we didn't kill them, but we're, we're still Cain-like. And so as you're reading Genesis 4, you're not supposed to see a big distance between you and Cain. You're supposed to see a lot of similarity between us and Cain. Why? Because we often fail to love God. We often fail to do what, what is well. We, we often fail to do well. And the reason why we fail to do well is be, because sin is crouching at the door and we don't master it. And so Cain is not a story of some horrible figure, but our story and why we desperately need the promise of Genesis 3.15 of the one who would come and crush the head of the serpent The one who would give us the ability to master sin when we are unable to do it ourselves. And so uh, God gives him this warning. And then in verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. uh, And I don't know why he spoke to him. Maybe he wanted to get him out in the field. Maybe he wanted to lure him out. Maybe he tried to just have a conversation, but he just couldn't take it anymore. Sin is crouching. He can't resist it. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel. And killed him then the Lord said to Cain where's Abel your brother your brother he knows he's his brother but God is emphasizing the fact that he's supposed to relate to uh, Abel in a certain way and he said I do not know am I my brother's keeper what's the answer to that yes yes you're your brother's keeper but you weren't in that moment you're supposed to love your brother and you hated your brother instead So that's why John tells us earlier in the book, don't be like Cain. Don't be Cain. And what he doesn't mean is don't go around murdering people. This letter wouldn't be that necessary. All right. Uh, But it's necessary for all Christians to read because we all can be Cain like in our sort of disregard of our brother or sister in our disdain sometimes for our brother or sister, even if we don't express it and we keep it in our hearts, We have this antagonistic attitude toward others sometimes because we don't see them as someone we're supposed to keep guard protect and love but we see them as uh, points of irritation or frustration or uh, envy or covetousness and those things can grow into really ugly things but it's the same seed it's not love and so Cain's story brings a depth to our story And Cain's story brings a depth to uh, what John is talking about here in this passage, and that's what he's getting at. So let's go back to 1 John. And as you go back to 1 John, as you pick up in verse 2 there, 1 John 5, verse 2, he talks about the fact that loving others and loving and following God, doing well, as Cain was supposed to do, is exactly what John is talking about. Verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God, How do we love our brothers? How do we know we love our brothers? When we love God and obey his commandments. See, if Cain loved God and obeyed his commandments, Abel would have lived. But Abel didn't live because Cain hated Abel. And the reason why Cain hated Abel is because he didn't love God and he didn't love God's commandments. And so by this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. And interestingly, earlier, John told us, here's how you know uh, that you love God that you obey his commandments and here he's saying here's how you know you love god is by obeying he reverses it why because they're inseparable loving the children of god loving god and obeying his commandments are proof of each other All Right? they show the reality of one another because you can't unlink them they they are uh, inseparable and that's why you can determine one by determining the other So how do you know that you love the children of God when you love God? How do you know that you love God when you love the children of God? How do you know you're doing well and sin is not mastering you? You obey his commandments when you love God, when you love his children. How do you know you love the children of God when you do well and you obey his commandments? You can flip it, reverse it, invert it, and it's always going to be the same. These are the ways that you understand that somebody is really in. And then he repeats it in verse 3. Again, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Obeying God and loving God are are the same thing. And so he's not saying you love God and also obey God. He's saying you love God by obeying God and that when you obey God, that's you loving God. And so love is is deep and it's complex and it's profound and it's not just rule following love isn't only rule following but love can't be separated from rule following god's rules not just random rules but when you understand what god wants you want to do it because god wants it why because you love him and of course what are god's top commandments love him and love neighbor And all the rest of God's commands hang on those two. Jesus teaches us. So believers love God by loving his children, right? We see that clearly in verse 1 and 2. Believers love God by loving his children, but it's also true that believers love God by loving his commandments, by loving his commandments, which he repeats here. When we love God and obey his commandments, verse 3 this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments at the end of verse 3 are not burdensome God's commandments are not a burden they're not weighty they're not you're not gonna be crushed under the weight of them that's why I say believers love God by loving his commandments I didn't say believers love God by obeying his commandments which is true well, why did I why did I say believers love God by loving his commandments? Because I think that's why it's not burdensome. Is it hard to obey? Yeah, it's hard to obey. But it's not that hard because you love it. It's something you want to do because you love God, and it's something that God has said, and so therefore you do it. So, uh one aspect of uh the fact that these commands of God obeying God's commands are not burdensome it is the fact that we are able to do it we are able to do it and we love to do it because it expresses our love for God so this is what Cain was missing right sin is crouching at, at uh, you know crouching there waiting for Cain uh, to take Cain and Cain is supposed to master it and he can't do it right that seemed like a burdensome thing to him it was a greater burden to resist that than to just murder his brother Uh, and so then john tells us hey to obey god is not burdensome well which one is it well i think what we need is something that makes god's commands not a burden if you talk to a typical unbeliever And you tell them I read the Bible, I go to church, you know, I I develop friends with people that if it weren't for Jesus, I wouldn't like them at all. (laughs) That sounds burdensome, doesn't it? To an unbeliever, maybe even to you. You're like, yeah, that's that's a lot. You know, I, I read the Bible. I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to do that. There's ways that I'm supposed to please God. There's ways that I'm supposed to stop displeasing God. There's things that I should stop. There are things that I should quit. And then there are other things that I should adopt, that I should start doing, and habits that I should be developing. Um, And when you write it all down, it sounds like a lot, and it looks like it's really burdensome versus the freedom of just doing whatever you want, doing whatever pleases you. And so that's what it seemed like to Cain, and that's what it would seem like to a typical unbeliever. But John tells us God's commandments are not. Burdensome. I mean, this is why Jesus t- talks about his yoke is easy, his burden is light. And Jesus was contrasting that with all these impossible rules that the Pharisees were uh, foisting upon their followers, crushing them. It was it's so impossible to please God because God won't love you until you complete this entire checklist. And so God won't give you the relationship you need to be the kind of person you're supposed to be. On their understanding of it until you do all of these things kind of on your own energy but John's not asking you to do it of your own energy so (laughs) the reason why it's not burdensome is because he's not saying follow all these commandments and then God will love you he's saying follow all these commandments because God loves you because he set his love upon you now you were able to do it you can do what Cain couldn't do and why couldn't Cain do it he didn't love God that's why the reason why sin mastered him and he couldn't master sin is because he didn't want to. And the reason why he didn't want to was because he loved what was crouching there and he loved it more than he loved God. And how do we come to a place where we love God so that we can defeat what's uh, against us? Well, that's what he talks about in four through five. Look at the next couple of verses. How do we master sin? How do we, you can say, overcome it? How do we conquer it? He says, "Everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world." Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You see it three times there: overcome, overcome, overcome. He says, "This is our victory." In the middle of the second part of verse four, uh, what is he talking about? What does it mean to be an overcomer? I, I, you know, I we can put out Christian t-shirts to say I'm an overcomer and put a verse there. And nobody knows what that means to be an overcomer, to overcome hardships, to overcome problems, to overcome the COVID virus, to overcome shelter protocols, to overcome the government and go out without wearing a mask, like some big brave person. You know, what, what does that mean? It means to do what Cain couldn't do. That's what it means. It means sin is crouching there waiting to master you. And before you were unable to master it, But now you have mastered it. You're not a slave to sin anymore because you're now an overcomer. You now have a victory that you couldn't have before. And because that victory is there, because you are an overcomer, a conqueror of sin, that's why God's commands aren't burdensome to you. They're burdensome to the person that can't do it. They're not burdensome to the person for whom they're able to do it. And you're able to do it if you're an overcomer. How do you become an overcomer how do you master sin you have to be reborn he says it in verse four everyone who has been born of god overcomes the world not everyone who simply goes to church or just reads the bible or calls themselves a christian he doesn't even say everyone who was dunked in a tank what are those things symbolize an inward rebirth this is what John, jesus was explaining to nicodemus How am I supposed to get there? Well, you have to be born again. And so everyone who's been born of God is an overcomer. It's those who experience a rebirth that are able to overcome. He says it twice in verse 1, doesn't he? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has what? Been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves those who have been born of God. So we've got birth twice in verse 1. And then you've got birth again in verse 4. And what John is trying to get at is that the path to becoming an overcomer begins with a rebirth. It doesn't begin with a New Year's resolution. It doesn't begin with just sheer grit and commitment. It begins with a change, an inward transformation that happens, what we call regeneration or another word for rebirth. It's being born again. And this isn't the first time John brought it up. John brought it up back in chapter 2, verse 29, when he talks about the ability to do anything righteous. John brought it up in chapter 3, verse 9, when he says you're to not keep on practicing sin. How do you get to a point where you're not continually practicing the same sins over and over? Rebirth. Not a 12-step program. Rebirth. In chapter 3, verse 9. And then, as we saw last week, chapter 4 verse 7 rebirth is how we experience the love of God the knowledge of God and so throughout the letter John keeps emphasizing this this whole thing has to start with being reborn if you're reborn you're a different kind of person you're the kind of person who can master sin crouching there and and the, the kind of person who can love where Cain couldn't love and so rebirth is an important aspect here and the rebirth is how faith happens. Faith is not you going, okay, I'm going to really tr- I'm going to really believe today. That's not faith. Faith is uh faith comes with rebirth. Right? And we see that in ch- in verse 4 here. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So all this talk about obeying commandments, you would think he would say this is our victory, obeying commandments, but he doesn't. He says faith is the victory. Well, I thought he was talking about obedience. He is. Faith is how you do it. Rebirth is how you have faith, and faith is how you obey God's commandments. This is why Paul says in Galatians 5, 6, that faith works itself out through love. He said it's not about circumcision and uncircumcision. It's not what you do. Uh, on the outside it 's what happens to you on the inside it 's this faith, and that faith is expressed through love. People often think that James and Paul are against each other no they 're not Paul says in galatians five six faith works itself out through love that 's what james James talks about. If you say you have faith, show me you have faith through your works. Faith produces it, so victory is not just grinding out obedience it 's so difficult. We get so tired we get, we experience a roller coaster Christianity we have a season of obedience and then a season of disobedience and a season of obedience and then a season of disobedience and we have to go on some massive retreat and worship with 10,000 other Christians to go on another spiritual high to get by for another couple of weeks that's the pattern of a non-christian because what motivates your obedience is not a retreat what motivates your obedience is not being struck by a new song on Caleb what motivates your obedience is faith Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to have difficult times, and there's some sense of ups and downs, but you don't keep on practicing sin, and your overall pattern is loving your brother and sister in Christ. That is the outworking of faith, and that is how you overcome sin. You overcome sin by faith, and love is how it's shown. Faith is our victory in verse four. This is our victory, our faith. And faith starts and ends this whole section, doesn't it? In verse one, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Well, where's faith there? Well, believe, believe is just the verb form of faith. Faith is the noun and believe is the verb, right? How do you do faith? Believe. And so he starts by saying it's it's faith or belief that is the key to this whole thing and then he ends by saying in verse five who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes has faith and so what he says in verse four is bracketed by verse one and verse five so that the, this whole thing is about faith that's why i started out by saying believers love god by loving his children then i said believers love god by loving his commandments believers love god by loving his children And believers love God by loving his commandment. But if you're not a believer, you're just trying from the outside, and you'll end up like Cain. You can't live a life of obedience because you already don't love God. And the reason why you don't love God is because you don't have faith. And the reason why you don't have faith is because you haven't been reborn. And so what is the faith that we need for believers to conquer the world by loving God? Which is the central emphasis of this passage. If you miss everything else, don't miss it. Believers conquer the world by loving God. And by world, John doesn't mean the earth, John means everything that is stacked against you loving him sin in Genesis 4, persecution, Uh, other Christians that mock, deceivers throughout 1 John, those who would try to get you to believe something different. Is part of the world, the system of the world that is against you loving God. It's all seed of the serpent and the inherent sin that is inside you, crouching and tempting you. But believers conquer the world by loving God, by loving God's children, by loving God's commandments. And we might feel like that is a daunting thing, that you might feel like that is a difficult thing, but somehow it's not burdensome. And if that feels foreign to us, like but it does feel burdensome it might be because we haven't been reborn which i think is one of john's points in this letter he wants to affirm your your rebirth by pointing to things that show that you have the rebirth but if those things aren't there then maybe the question really is have i been reborn have i placed faith in jesus in verse one that jesus is the christ and then in verse 5, the Jesus is the Son of God. Have I come to grapple with that? And so that doesn't mean life isn't difficult. It just means that you're, the center of your faith is radically different than everybody else who wants to try to be a good person, who wants to try to, to, to live a religious life. Uh, this week we get a box. We got a box in the mail from like some fitness company or something, and it had a big sticker, pretty cool-looking sticker, and it says in big caps, "Believe in yourself." Right? Believe in yourself. Uh, that's pretty cliche today, isn't it? Uh, that if when you're feeling down, and you're feeling like you can't complete a workout, you're feeling like you can't uh, climb the corporate ladder, you're feeling like you can't. Uh, land a really good girlfriend or boyfriend. You feel like you're not able to finish your college courses. You know what you need to do? You need to believe in yourself. Well, it's it's easy to mock that as a Christian, but I mean, if you think about it, what else do they have? If you don't have faith in Christ, you have to have faith in yourself. I mean, where else can you get encouragement from? And so you get the, the the sentiment, hey, believe in yourself, you know, understand that you can do it. And it's the you can do itness that's going to get you by in this life. But with John, that's not what John is doing. In fact, that would make the burden harder. But what he's saying is God's commands aren't burdens because it's not a believe in yourself. It's a believe in Jesus Christ. And it's not a believe in something that he might do. It's something that he has done. It's the propitiation that he's talked about a couple of times already. That what Jesus Christ has provided for you is a victory that's already there. Notice, he doesn't say, For everyone who has been born of God will overcome. He doesn't say, And this is the victory that might overcome the world. He doesn't ask in verse 5, Who is it that will possibly overcome? But he says, Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome. The world and who is it that surely definitely already overcomes the world it's the person who believes in Jesus Christ man that is a that is that is victorious isn't it that your difficulty in loving others is normal that's why I wanted to start the sermon that way if you're feeling convicted like yeah I don't really love a lot of Christians that well Uh, christians are annoying i just want to affirm you we we are difficult to love We, we are all difficult to love it's it's hard especially when we're wired and trained to love people that love the stuff we love love people that love us first but instead what what bible is calling us to is to love people that are loved by god nothing to do with me nothing to do with me i love them you love them because they're loved by god and the reason why that is not difficult in the end in the overall scheme of things is because it's not just that they've been loved by God it's that we've been loved by God and we've experienced a rebirth that makes us a different person not perfect by any stretch but progressing in our faith and growing in our faith and we demonstrate that in how we treat one another sadly one of the difficulties with with preaching through this series is we're called to love one another love one another love one another and we can't even be with each other the closest we can get is a zoom call and so how do we demonstrate love toward one another how do we demonstrate love toward our brothers and sisters where we can't even be in each other's presence well one aspect of it is maybe in God's providence uh, we are going through first John so that when we do get back together we try to love a little more intensely. And I don't think that's because we don't do it well at CFC. I actually think we do pretty well at CFC. I think this is a loving community. And I think we are very different from one another outside of church. I mean, we have a lot of common interests and and everything like that, Uh, but there's a lot of ways in which we are very different. We're very intergenerational church. That are automatically right there. We don't listen to the same music. We don't get the same jokes. I mean, there, there's a lot that are that a lot of ways in which we are different, but there are some ways I think that we can begin to express love toward one another, even outside of the ability to meet together in person. And at least one of those ways is in our willingness to listen to each other. It's our, it's in our willingness to, um, try to understand where another person is coming from for example when they post something on social media i have to i have to admit to you that there are many days where i feel like completely exiting from social media platforms i want to retreat and not see political posts i'm tired of people pontificating about their supposed expertise on what we're supposed to do about the covid-19 situation uh their their x-ray vision to see behind all politicians' lies and what the truth is back there and the idiocy and the complete foolishness of anyone else who thinks differently. And the more I see that, I don't want to engage because then it's like answering a fool according to his folly and you become just like them. Uh and I don't want to engage. I just want to just retreat because I'm sick of scrolling through it. It's either that or uh, you know, I don't know, some, some weird stuff, videos of, uh, people in drive-throughs doing stuff that, you know, you'd feel like you just wasted the last three minutes of your life by watching the video. So not a lot of value there on social media. Why don't I do it? The reason why I don't retreat, or at least I haven't yet. And I don't think it'd be wrong to drop Facebook or whatever social media platform you're on. But retreating isn't the answer either, is it? Because if if seeing how other people think makes it harder for me to love them, the answer can't be for me to stop seeing what they're like. (laughs) Just trying to make it easier that way. That's not necessarily the loving thing to do. And so one of the ways that we can try to uh, express our love toward one another is to recognize that there are many different views within the body of Christ, not just about the COVID thing, but about politics. When the elections start coming up, one of the biggest strains, I'm going to say this kind of intimately. I know everyone in here is not a, a sort of a regular CFC attender, but look, this is us, real life. But when we were coming up on that last election and people were arguing about Hillary, arguing about Trump and, and everything like that going on out there, that's probably one of the bigger strains I felt pulling at the fabric of the unity at CFC I wasn't a big deal it didn't pop up in like services it's just in conversations I'll just catch it like in snatches that you've got your group that understands that this is the way to vote and you've got this other group that is really confused I don't think we really had a third group really represented there of like the Hillary group or whatever but but other churches do and other authors uh, a lot of this stuff with racial things, it's its its tearing at the fabric of Christianity. Of those of you who understand things like Together for the Gospel, if you go back to those last several conferences of Together for the Gospel, you had the same set of dudes that would preach every year, and now it's a different set. Why? Because there was a split. That's why. Over racial issues, right? Some of us like to, uh, the Gospel Coalition a little bit less because of political things and social justice issues, and I feel that it is a strain within uh, my pastor pastor friends, the network that I have of friends who are pastors. There's a strain in the relationships in some senses with some of those pastors uh, that make it difficult to continue to operate in a way that's united because we disagree on the COVID stuff we disagree on social justice we disagree on racial things and so what what am i trying to get at what i'm trying to get at is we can think okay we're supposed to love one another all right let me write a thank you card let me you know deliver something those are great things but it's in those tense moments where someone is going to vote the opposite way that you're going to vote it's in those moments where someone thinks that the answer to racial injustice is something different than what you clearly see as the answer and we're not allowed to just sort of write them off and just be friends with someone else we're supposed to love them intensely that 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 might mean that we don't hang out with them as much they're not your bestie and that's that's okay I, I think there are there's room like I said there's room For friendships that are a little bit closer than other friendships because we think a little more alike, because we like, we're into the same things, we own the same breed of pet, who knows what it might be. And that's okay. But we have to make sure that our differences don't bring us to a point where we uh, are catty with one another or start distancing ourselves from one another just because we don't want an awkward conversation. We should be able to have difficult conversations in love. Right And not sort of bypass or dodge that bullet by ignoring the person or ignoring the conversations, and so I'm not telling you get on facebook i'm not telling you get off facebook I'm just saying if you engage in social media, engage in a way that would make John proud, engage in a way that demonstrates to the world that you're different and you speak differently, you think differently, and you uh, seek to love especially those who are in. The faith. And so, as we close this time, we want to make sure that uh, we are not allowing scripture to sort of uh, bounce off, pass through, or just hit sort of at a surface level, but to really challenge us to think okay, if we're reborn and we are believers in Jesus Christ, what are ways that we can express our love in intense ways? Uh, not just sort of agreeing, not to be so pliable that we just agree with everybody we're having a conversation with, uh, but to be able to disagree and in the disagreement still demonstrate love. I think that is a higher bar than uh, than the other way. Uh, so I want us to, to pray, and then we're going to close in a song together. It's a new one. Uh, and then I'll come back and, and ask you to uh, bow your heads with me one last time as I ask for the Lord's blessing. So let's let's pray. Father, we are thankful to you that we have your word. Uh, More than that, we're thankful that you give us what we need to follow it. Uh, We're thankful that you don't just set the bar, but you allow us to meet the bar uh, and pass it in Jesus Christ. Uh, We thank you that even though sin seeks to master us and control us and divide us and to make us uh, cantankerous people, uh disagreeable people with each other easily frustrated and irritated by one another uh, that's the flesh that's the world and we thank you that you have made us overcomers so that we don't have to give into that and that if we slip and act like that we can come back and apologize and we can continually rebuild bridges with one another because uh, our relationship with you is founded on forgiveness that your love toward us has been most Expressed in forgiveness in the cross of Jesus Christ, and so that we can forgive each other when we step out of line or when we fail to demonstrate love, so that now we can move forward and continue to show the world that we love one another. And the reason why we love one another is because we have been loved so greatly by you through your son Jesus Christ. As we sing this song, Father, allow us to think about our relationship with you, our fellowship with you. And how you promise to grab us by the hand and walk us through even the most difficult of times. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.